Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to this live audio and video podcast. It's a caffeine cast episode when it goes live on The Disruptive Entrepreneur about partnerships and joint ventures. Should you do them? Shouldn't you do them? How to best do them? How to find the right partners, the right people? I just made a post in one of our social media communities and I put nine different points. I'm going to cover those with you right now. If you're live, say hi. Ask any questions as we go. As long as I have time, I'll answer some questions at the end. All right, so whether you're a property investor or you're a general business owner, disruptive entrepreneur or startup, partners can obviously leverage you because you can get people who are really good at the things that you're not very good at, love to do the things you don't love to do, do things and earn money for them, but save you money and time so you can do more of what you love. You can live the life leverage philosophy. But I guess a lot of people don't do them or they worry about them. It's because they think that it's hard work. You know, there's, there's this management. You know, they feel that um, it's a, an opulence. Some people think that it's actually a bit, you know, sort of over the top. They can't afford it. They often think they can't afford it. They haven't got the time to bring them through. So there's loads of reasons why people wouldn't do them. And um, I'm always asked, should I? And I think, yes, it depends, which is kind of like a, a very um, non-committal thing to say. But absolutely, you should look to do partnerships as long as they're the right partnerships. It's probably better to have your own business and have a lifestyle business and have a couple of outsourced virtual assistants if you hate people and you don't want to manage anyone or anything and you don't want to grow a big business and you just want five or 10 grand a month pretty passively. So it's not always right to build partnerships and teams and scale and grow. But even then, if you're doing the sort of lifestyle business, you're probably still going to need to manage your outsourcers and your VAs. And you can't just say, do this now. And it's got to be a clear process, a clear system, clear instruction of how to manage them, inspire them, motivate them. Because, you know, money is only third in the list of most important things to people in a career, recognition is higher and progression is higher. So let's go through this list that I posted, ping in any questions at any time, and hopefully you'll find this useful. So should I JV? Should I find a JV partner? Should I build a team? Yes, but don't rush it. So a lot of people, when they're going into joint ventures, especially in property, and hey, look, we've really encouraged people to do joint ventures. It's a way to negate not having money, or, you know, maybe being in debt or being overgeared or starting from scratch. But, you know, they kind of almost want to JV with the first person they meet. You probably wouldn't sleep with the first person you bumped into in the street. I mean, they kind of do that in Peterborough, but, you know, you'd probably court before you get married. So, yes, by all means, look at people who could be potential partners, but don't jump in. Watch people. Observe their behaviours. Get clear on what it is that you want from a partner. So spend time getting, getting to know people. You see, like, people will have barriers, walls, and make impressions upon you when you don't know them and you haven't spent much time with them. But over time, they will reduce. You know, you'll find with me, I'll probably swear a little bit less before we know each other, and then I'll probably swear a bit more. I'm pretty upfront and direct and open and honest and disruptive anyway, but I'll probably be a bit more loose and a bit more free. I'll certainly probably maybe have a little bit more banter and more fun. I'll probably be more direct when you've known me for a while. 
And everyone's the same. Everyone's got these sort of portrayals that they're trying to show society and the world. And you don't really know your JV partner until they've gone and you've seen how they act normally when they're comfortable with you. So keep all options open. Don't be too rigid in the kind of JV partner that you want. Step one is to take time, don't jump in. Step two, this is like really important, the most important for a staff member, an outsourcer, a VA, a JV partner, a business partner, a life partner. You wanna be very clear on who they need to be. Now to be clear on who you need your JV partner to be, you need to be really clear on who you are. So I've got a couple of exercises for you to do. You might wanna write these down. So you wanna get a piece of pen and paper and you wanna draw a line in the middle and on the left hand side, so that's the way you're looking there. On the left hand side, you put assets and on the right hand side, you put liabilities. Now in, in your asset column, you write everything in there about you that's an asset. Your physical traits, your physical material items and wealth, your emotional and personality traits, your experiential traits all the things that are good about you. Even if they are, if you're raw and starting out, it might be your passion, enthusiasm, drive, commitment, hunger, time. You know, you've got assets and list them all out. And then on the other side, on the right-hand sides, you wanna put all of your liabilities, the things you don't have. And that could be money, experience. It could be the ability to analyze deals and do details. It could be that you're not really good at research, whatever. Be very honest and very clear on both sides. Now, some people, they forget the assets they've got and they don't put much in the asset column. Other people who are maybe a little bit too sure of themselves, maybe they do it the other way around, but it's important to be honest about your assets and your liabilities. And you call them assets and liabilities. I don't really like calling them strengths and weaknesses or you know things that you're good at and things that you're crap at because it's not really like that. We're all just unique and individual and we're all good at what we're focused on and we're not good at what we haven't focused on. We could become good at anything if we focus on it. It's important to us, but then we just can't do it all. And um, so it's just really who you are, not that you're better or worse. So once you've got this list, it's really revelatory to you because number one, you get hyper clarity on where you should focus more of your time and energy. What you're already good at, which is self-fulfilling, so it increases your self-worth. You've got almost like an advert that you can show other people. I mean, you're not necessarily gonna show them your list, but you know, when other people are looking to do adventures and partnerships, and um, contracts with you, you've got an asset column that you can remind them of and put in your pitch. But also, you need to find the person who is the your liability column. You need to find the person who's completely the right-hand side on your balance sheet. I know our balance sheets are normally have you know, top line and bottom line, but, but you know, you're left and you're right. And so you've created this clear identity of what your ideal JV partner staff members should look like. You've got to do this before you get into bed and before you partner and before you hire and, you know, and before you make these kind of long-term commitments. Okay, then step three on joint ventures, partnerships, on hiring, on outsourcing, is you don't have to get married or commit to get married straight away. So in any employment contract, you have a probation period. It's three months normally. If you're not sure, you can extend the probation to another three months and another three months. And that's a safe way of you just testing that you're right for the employee and the employee is right for the employer. And so you should do that with your joint ventures if you're doing big deals or big contracts. Your first deal can be the test deal or you can, you can have a partnership and a, li a little shareholders agreement or even a little joint venture agreement, but you just do it on the first deal first. So you, you know, you're courting, dating rather than getting married. It will save you a load of legal and operational costs and pain later on. 
And six to 12 months is a good amount of time for you to really see if you're the right fit with each other. So, so many people are rushing in, they're trying to do all the negotiation, the legals and the details up front and the contracts, and they're like, right, they've taken 18 months to do that and it's great, and they realise it's not the right person. So, if you think about it, life is always a test, business is always a test, you're, you're waking up in a, a new day and you're iterating and you're trying to improve. So, start small, go with a deal test, and then scale up from there. Okay, number four then is, and this again is a really important distinction, it's a detail. Ensure you have different skills completely. You know, your assets are their liabilities, their liabilities, your assets. But you must have a similar vision. Because if you're very different in skills, that's a tick. But if you've got a six-decade vision and they've got a six-minute vision, then that's not going to work. And I've had many partnerships which have come and gone. And whilst they've worked, while they've worked, I would have liked them to have been a lot longer. And I know partners have been mine when we've not partnered anymore. They've wanted to be less committal and, you know, wanted to be more... What is it, polygamous? Not, if that's the right word. But, you know, they've wanted to do a lot more things with a lot more other people and be sort of more free. And I've wanted to be more long-term. So that's probably why it didn't end up lasting for a long time. So I'm very long-term in a lot of the strategic decisions and joint ventures and partnerships and, you know, and, and building staff and team. And that's because I've got a long-term vision. That doesn't make it right, though. And, and I've got to be aware not to project too much my long-term vision onto people because that can scare them. All right, then. Next thing is reading their values. So understanding their vision, making sure it's aligned with yours and then knowing their values. So when you know what's most important to them, you can give them what they need to advance their own career, their life or what they want out of your partnership. And I got asked yesterday by Dan, a private roundtable we had. How do you motivate staff? Well, the single best way to motivate staff is to find out what's most important to them and give it to them because no one needs to be motivated by their values. You know, what's most important to you in your life right now? You don't need external motivation. You have spontaneous internal inspiration. So when you find out what other people's values are, you can sell to them elegantly what you might want them to do or where you might want to go together in the partnership based on their values. So for example, if family is one of the most important values of a staff member, then you could give them, you could let them take their kids to school and and come in at 20 past nine instead of nine o'clock. It's such a small thing to give, but big to them. You could let them go early on a Friday afternoon to spend time with their children. And they are going to then give back to you because you've given to them. All right, number six then in looking for partners, staff, outsourcers, VAs is when you're watching them, don't tell them. Because as soon as people know they're sort of in a trial period, or, you know, you're potentially looking at doing work together. They'll change their behavior, you know, collar up, sleeves up. I'm going to try extra hard. But you don't want to see them trying extra hard. You want to know how they are normally day to day. So, you know, for example, if you're a JV partner who's got the money and you're looking to do deals with people, don't tell them you've got the money. Build a bit of a relationship with them. But, but watch how they treat you and how they behave and how they operate when they don't know that you've got the money. So, you know, if you're looking for people in role, you know, maybe you're looking to hire a lettings manager for your new lettings business and you might want to see, you know, find some sort of frustrated existing lettings managers. Watch them first before you say to them that you're looking at maybe doing some work with them because people's behaviours change when they know they're being watched. So that's number six, really important. Most people don't know that. As soon as you let the cat out of the bag, they're going to look great, aren't they? Of course, they're going to try harder and work longer for the three months. But as soon as they've got your money, it could change. Or they've been employed for a year, it could change. All right, number seven, really important. Get clarity on roles and responsibilities very early. In fact, I'll come back to number seven because I can see some questions. Let's see if I can 
get them. Ah, so Vasilis has asked, a great question, or this might be a statement, a great question to ask yourself on your JV partner, what are your, are your two biggest challenges right now? So Vasilis is suggesting if you uh, ask your JV partner what your two biggest challenges are right now, that you're going to glean and gain some insight into them. So thank you for that share, Vasilis. Let's see if we can find any more comments. Hi, everyone. I'm getting lots of highs and lots of messages and lots of perfect timings. And thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Sorry, I'm getting really close to the screen here. I did warn you about my Movember beard. It scares a lot of people. All right, yeah, so most of them are just um, comments and highs and thank yous and shares. No problem at all. All right, then, so the next one then, I think this was number seven, is get clarity on the roles and responsibilities early. I mentor. In fact, I've got 54 personal mentees now. I can't believe that, especially as how much they pay. It's a, it's a lot of money. And I would say five people in the last month, they have their six or 12 months or however long into their journey and not at the start, and they're having to sit down and reevaluate roles, responsibilities. Some of them have got uh, not very clearly defined roles. Some of them are doing other things outside of the venture. Some of the partnerships are three people and not two people. And all of these things that lead to lack of clarity. And the, the, the less clear something is, the more open it is to manipulation, interpretation, different interpretation between people conflict, etc. So get very clear on the roles and responsibilities early. Now, Mark Homer and I, my business partner, my JV partner, my best friend, my 11 years business partner, that's longer than I've been with my fiance. And that's, uh, you know, we, we're doing good. And um, we sort of, basically all the rules I'm telling you, we didn't know them back then 11 years ago, but we kind of, I guess we accidentally followed them and I'm reverse engineering them for you. So we met last week of December, 2005, I made an impression upon him. He made an impression upon me. We got to a point where I found him a bit weird because he was very different to me and he found me weird, a bit out there because I was different to him. And, you know, back then we were probably confused for a bit, but now we know that to be a really good, really good thing. We both love business, entrepreneurship, building it, growing it. We want to do it forever. We love making money. You know, we love building assets. We love playing real life monopoly. So we had a, an aligned vision, but completely different skill sets, different focuses. So Mark watched me for three or four months. So he stayed, kept me warm, but he waited two, three months before he agreed to do a property together. We did one property together and then we got one and it worked and then he did a couple. And then by the end of the first year, we were doing 20 and there must've been eight or 10 of them exchanging almost in the same month. So, you know, he performed these sort of, what would you call them? Functions, tasks, operations upon me without me knowing it, without him knowing he was doing it. It was just natural to him. Then we set up Progressive about a year later. So we didn't jump in straight away. We tested 20 deals together. It was time to go into business together. And then about three months in, it wasn't really very clear who was doing what. And we were both just doing everything and we were getting in each other's way and there was duplication in some areas and then nothing was getting done in other areas. I just read, I think, the E-Myth and the E-Myth Revisited. And this was, yeah, February, March, 2007. So we sat down, I got a little Word document, org chart out in Word, you can get an org chart, you know, where it's like CEO, operations manager, MD, blah, blah, blah. And then it's all the, all the um, roles in the organization, the hierarchy. And we put CEO, Robin Mark, property manager, Mark, assistant to the property manager, Mark, refurb manager, Mark, lettings manager, Mark, we put sales, Rob, marketing, Rob, assistant to sales, Rob. 
website and brand, Rob, and about the 15-ish roles that we thought Progressive would be. It's funny because we've got 60 staff now and we're growing all the time. And, you know, that's small compared to some large entities. But we thought 15 people or 14 or whatever it was would be like Progressive, finished, massive, sold and us retired. And we filled them all in, but it was all Rob Mark, Rob Mark, Rob Mark, Rob Mark, Rob Mark, Rob Mark, Rob Mark. And there was a couple we both wanted to do, so we negotiated that out. And there were a couple neither of us wanted to do, so we negotiated that out. But then we had a clear visual written, which we put on a board, organisational chart. And then it was just naturally, spontaneously clear who did what. And we didn't have to micromanage each other. And, we, you know, the things that weren't getting done were now. And the things that were duplication before that was slowing down, sped up. And um, our trajectory accelerated significantly after that. Then what we did is we start filling them in. So assistant to lettings, Mark's mum. PA to sales and marketing and Rob, Mark's mum. And then in property buying, which is Mark Homer, we hired our first estate agent, Simon Grace. And so it grew and so it grew. So when you have the org chart, you can pick off the people. All right, great. And what you also wanna do once you've got your org chart roles is you wanna get a piece of paper and you wanna put yourself and your partner and write down the details of those that you do because some of them are a bit more specific, like who's gonna pay the invoices, you know, and who's gonna do the viewings and who's gonna update the website, who's gonna write the blogs and the articles and is there, is it the blogs and articles, half of them are you, half of them are you, who's gonna manage your social media profiles, etc. And then you put the tasks underneath the roles and responsibilities on a document, job done. Any resolution, any lack of clarity, any gaps or duplication, you just go to your document, it's clear. And in the end, it just becomes innately clear. And it's such a great thing to do. And, and also a great position to be in because you stop having to look at someone else and sort of worry about what they're doing. You focus on what you're doing. Clarity is everything in this. And you want to do that early. You want to do that, you know, a week, a month into your venture, you know, when it's kind of when you're properly doing your venture, not a year or two years. Okay, then number eight. Now, I do see quite a few people with partnerships who they're kind of expecting their partner to do more or to be more or to step up with the illusion that they're bringing more to the table. Maybe they're measuring on time, but like with Mark and I at the start of our progressive journey, I definitely put more hours in, but Mark had more money, more experience and more knowledge. So I had to put more hours in to make up for it, but... Yeah, I was measured on hours and sweat and they call it sweat equity, don't they? And hard work because I had less knowledge and experience and money. But you can't really expect Mark to work the same amount of hours because he's got different value. And so, you know, there was a bit of a conflict there. So the first thing is you don't want to measure people by time. You want to measure people by results. You want to measure people by getting the job done, no matter how long it takes. But you want to let them crack on and do their thing. And you should desire to be the single best partner that you could be to them. Because if you want to help them step up, rather than micromanaging them, you should step up and be an inspiration. And in every partnership I'm in, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, and I'm not saying that they'd always agree with this, and I'm not saying I always get this, but I do aspire to be the best partner that I can be. And sometimes I want to give feedback. I think it's important to be honest. But usually to get them to step up, I want to step up. So if you can be the very best partner and do, if you aspire to do your part better than they do their part, they'll step up, even if it's through guilt and feeling like then they're kind of letting you down. Because, you know, if, at the end of the day, I think that that could lift them up. So that's something to think about. Stop looking at what they should be doing. Start focusing on what you're doing. Look to inspire and lift them up. So number nine then is keep communicating honestly. I think this is really important. 
If you've got feedback to be shared, the thing that you do is you write it down, you get the emotions away, and then you give the feedback. You must not store, 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 and then explode. I myself and Mark have done that before because you know we didn't maybe want to rock the boat, but it's better to rock the boat when it's slightly small than when there's a massive tidal wave. And um, you know, your a partnership is about keeping each other accountable. And sometimes you need feedback, they need feedback. The point is to make your partner feel safe in an environment where you're unemotional and they're not defensive. But if you've got any critique or feedback or suggestions or help, don't hold it in. Don't be the passive aggressive that's like a doormat for 11 months out of 12 and then is just a, 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 has a full-on fit of rage for one month because in the end, you're the only person that suffers from that. So keep communicating, communicate honestly, have a good open loop, talk a lot, and your partnership will always flourish and evolve. You know, if you have sort of desires to go in different directions and they do, you should talk about it. Look at a way that you can solve the problems because next year, five years, 10 years, you know, things are going to change. You're going to evolve. You know, like, for example, I um, had children five years ago and that probably changed the way I functioned in the partnership with Mark. And Mark is probably not that far off having children. I don't know when, but that might change again. And Mark does a lot more flying than me. And we, we used to fly similar amounts. And that kind of changes the way we do things. And, you know, Mark's now way more involved in much bigger projects. And, you know, as we get bigger, things like PR and HR and sort of like the legal side of our business grow and grow and grow. And then as Mark gets more involved in that, I accept that that takes him away from other things he was doing and he accepts that I don't work from the office anymore and I've just got everything on my laptop on my phone and you know he doesn't now measure me because I'm only in the office one day a week or one hour a day whereas in the early days he might well Rob's not turning to work you know is he stepping up and you know so you just want to constantly communicate these things if you start when you're inquisitive you ask questions rather than hold it in when you're a bit angry and you make accusations so questions rather than accusations will, will really help You can also assume that they're doing something and they're not, or they're behaving a certain way or they're not, or you see it your way and you don't see it there. So always look to see it from their side. And then number 10 is do not go into other ventures where your partner would see that as a distraction or being disloyal. I see a lot of partnerships and they've got an agreement, but they're doing all this other stuff and they're justifying that it's not really gonna cannibalize that partnership or that their partner's all right with it, even though they're not. And um, I don't think that's fair on your partner. So you should be loyal to what you're doing with them. If you wanna do new things, have a chat with them. But in the end, they're gonna just, you're gonna be measured by what you put into the partnership. Or, you know, if you're a manager, how you manage people. and. As soon as things go wrong or money is tight, they're going to start throwing accusations at you if you're not putting as much time in or you're spreading yourself thin in a load of other areas. Now, Mark and I did this little deal which has worked for 10 and a half years, about six months into our partnership. I had a nearly full life coaching business. It was taking up a lot of my time. I'm hugely passionate about personal development, human behavior, you know, business, finance, money, everything relating to sort of the human development. And so I've had other businesses in the past that have been linked to them. And whilst Mark's kind of interested in them, only really if it's linked to property and money and business. And so Mark sat me down, he said, Rob, you're doing all this life coaching stuff and you know, you're going on all these happy clappy life coaching courses and personal development courses and that's taking a lot of time out of what we could be doing with property. I think you should focus more on property. And I got a bit defensive and I was a bit like, well, you know, you're going out with all your mates 
you know, you're leaving early on Friday and you're every weekend with them and you're coming in late on Monday and you're really, you know, you're spending a lot of your time with your mates looking at setting up business with them and we were probably both 15% defensive, but that was okay. It was a conversation that needed to be had. And um, in the end, we both agreed not to drop them, which was discussed, not to do them all, which was discussed, but we agreed that we could do these other things as long as if Mark was going to go and look at set up a new venture with his par- other partners, I got 50% of his share. And if I was doing life coaching and writing other books and doing personal development and other courses and whatever else, he gets 50% of my share. And that was just such a, it was, just, it was almost like a relief because Mark could go and appease his needs in his spare time. And I could still keep alive the other things I love to do, the writing, the reading, the teaching, you know, the education, the building of all of the assets online. And, um, and each of us not question the loyalty or the time input or the energy. And thanks to that, we've built about eight or nine income streams that probably wouldn't have been built had we not had that conversation, had we not had that agreement. And I know a lot of people are in partnerships but they've got this polygamy we're going on where they're in loads of different partnerships and it's about to break probably sometime soon. So hopefully you found this useful. It's been quite a long caffeine cast. We're what, nearly at half an hour. Anyone got any questions while we're live? And um, if you're not in the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community, by the way, then please do join that Disruptive Entrepreneurs community. We have, I think it's, I've lost count now. There's 300,000 or 400,000 subscribers all across the world in 145 countries. I haven't got the analytics to hand. But actually, only about 4,000 of them are in the online private community. So somewhere along the line, people aren't getting in there. So get yourself in the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community where everything I cover on the Business Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, we do together in there. It's not a sales group or anything like that. It's purely for articles, shares. It's, It's much more focused on business than it is maybe in the progressive property communities. All right, Ben, Ben Downton, he's asked, thinking of jumping into a JV partnership as the deal has come up. So the first thing I'd say, Ben, I don't know if you tuned in right at the start, don't jump in, follow my 10-step model. So you might want to listen to the podcast or the recording. What would you suggest first, clear legal document or just try and sort it out after? I would say, I mean, Mark and I don't have a, a, a legal joint venture agreement. We have a shareholders agreement for our companies which is similar. You could have a joint venture agreement. You could have a heads of terms, which is a kind of like the stage before a joint venture agreement where you basically just state in a written document, even if it's on an email, just write heads of terms and this is what I do and this is what you do. And that's how it should start anyway, just as a sort of almost like your, um, imagine that you wrote out all the tasks and all the roles and responsibilities and you cut them all out into a piece of paper each and you just picked them and you, ch- you had your 15 and they had their 15 and you negotiated them out. And then you put them in a document. That's not the best analogy in the world, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Then you've got the, the, the forming of an agreement. And also, if this is the first deal, you know, you don't need to go heavy on the legals. You just need to be clear on who's doing what. So it also does depend who's putting the money in, because if someone's putting all the money in, they'll probably want first charge. And if there's a mortgage lender, they might want a restriction. So, you know, you've got to think that those things, it don't, so if, it's, if it's a lot of money going in on their part, that you want to give them some security around that. But if it's your first deal, I would just get something written down in an email, create a heads of terms. You could send it, send it to a solicitor. So Sarah Miles, we use at Langley's and they could put it into a joint venture document, bit of back and forth. It might cost you 800 quid, you know, but I'd probably only do that if you're thinking more long term. 
you know, going into more deals together. So hopefully that helps, Ben. Craig's asked, hi, Rob, uh, to clarify your last point, do you mean from every book you write, etc., the agreement is 50%? Yes. So every book I write, Craig, Mark's get fi- Mark gets 50% of all the net sales, which is why he's happy for me to take time out to write Life Leverage. Because, you know, he's, he's got half of that. His recent book on Common Sense on audio, it's going to be launched in January and our public, my publishers have taken his book on, which is a really great thing. I'm going to get 50% of that. I get 50% of all the property ventures that Mark is involved in and does. Uh, and if there's another partner, I get half of our half and he gets half of our half. But all the training and education portals and enterprises and courses we run... It'll be like 12 million probably this year just in that entity. Yeah, Mark gets half of that and isn't really involved. I do more speaking than him. So yeah, and and that's just, that's a lot. Because I need a bit of freedom. That's my character, my personality. I need a bit of freedom to go and do things. And Mark's happy for me to have that freedom now because he's got like some reins on me where he gets half of everything. I love giving him half of what I do because the more I give him half of what I do, the more he's going to go out and make more and give me half of what he does. And yeah, I I just think it's a really great, and I I, I want freedom, but I also need a great business partner like Mark, who's completely different to me and got different skills. He's the yin to my yang. He's the assets to my liabilities. He loves reading contracts. I hate it. He loves research. I hate it. He loves analysis. I hate it. And so I need someone like him because I'd probably fail on my own. But, But our little arrangement, our joint venture together has given me the freedom that I need. So it's been, you know, I didn't know that it was giving us so many benefits back then. All right then, so wow, we're half an hour in. So this has been Rob Moore on the Disruptive Entrepreneur video and audio podcast. Please subscribe to the Disruptive Entrepreneur if you're watching live, no charge, no selling, just you know, an unbelievable amount of, what do they call them in America? Knowledge bombs. <laughs> you can just find that on iTunes or Stitcher. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.